Our scripture reading will be found in Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing and his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Ray, I promise to keep this brief to give you as much time as possible. What's brief? I don't think I can do it in 30 seconds, but maybe 60. I met Pastor Ray Beeson at a West Region breakfast in Ventura, and uh, he was at the time engaged with Jim Ayers at Ventura Church doing a seminar in prayer. And as I visited with Pastor Ayers and Pastor Beeson, was impressed with what he was doing for that church in terms of raising the awareness in prayer ministries. As you know, I feel like that's been a need of ours for some time. He further did a seminar then with Simon Liversidge at the place and their evangelical church that hosts them in a cooperative effort, and that too uh, was a wonderful thing for that congregation. So I feel very happy that he's able to make time in his schedule for us today Pastor Ray has 32 years in cross-denominational ministry. When I ask him, uh, you know, so what's your denomination? He said, I I don't know. Uh, He's been doing cross-denominational ministry for so long that uh, Protestantism is the true footing. (laughs) That would be good. So he uh, has a varied experience, including the, uh, the experience of writing. He is not just a lecturer, but a writer, and has written, what, nine books, did you say? Eight. Eight books. Many of these are available on a table in the lobby, and no, they're not free, but you're welcome to pick those up at cost listed, or if you're uncomfortable doing that today, which many of you are, I have a sign-up sheet that would enable you to pick up what you need. Just let us know what you're taking and how to get a hold of you, and we'll be happy to to take care of that another time. Those books are also going to be available at the 1.30 seminar this afternoon, at the 4 o'clock seminar this afternoon. Or is it 5 o'clock? I'm sorry. 5 o'clock this afternoon and tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock. So those of you attending will have multiple opportunities to look at those. Ray, I note that your specialty is in prayer ministries. What other sorts of things have you been interested in? Pretty much spiritual warfare. When we started out um, about 32 years ago full-time preaching on the subject of, uh, of prayer in America, we discovered there was an enemy. And so we've been teaching on the subject of spiritual warfare as well. I understand, too, that you're interested in Christology? Very much so. In fact, uh, I'll introduce one of the new books that I have out just recently, how that um, the real element for overcoming is Christ in us, the hope of glory, a real element of the Holy Spirit working to accomplish the righteousness that so many of us try to accomplish on our own. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Greg. Good morning. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 13? As we begin this morning, I, I want to lay a little bit of a kind of a groundwork for what we're going to do this week. I want to take a little while this morning to kind of give you an idea of what the background is of, of the seminar, with the background of, uh, of who we are, basically. Uh, just some uh, little thoughts about the book table in the back and so forth. Uh, before that, though, I'd like to uh, introduce you to my wife. This is my wife, Linda, and she will be at the book table if she would stand. And um, 
We have uh, four lovely children, and we have five lovely children, grandchildren, and another one on the way this month, actually. Um, but we don't have any of them at home, and we are so thankful to the Lord that all of our children are gone. <laughs> How many people understand that? You have, you know. Let me say it this way: There's nothing wrong with the empty nest. Uh, we had children actually in our home for 38 years, and the last one left just about two years ago, and we are so glad. <laughs> and uh, I never thought it would ever be that way, but as long as they don't move too far away. And they didn't, and so we have them close enough that we can enjoy them. You know, it's really fun, though. If you do not have grandchildren, uh, try, because they are better than children by a long, long ways. And so how many understand what I just said out there? Just grandchildren are the epitome of what life is really all about. Now, we have a five-year-old right now and a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old boy that are big time into sports. And so Grandpa's helping him collect sports cards and things like that. And uh, little Riley, the little five-year-old, is the most beautiful child you have ever seen in your entire life. This kid is just amazingly beautiful and brilliant on top of that. Uh, very athletic. He's so much like his grandfather. It's absolutely amazing. So this morning as we begin, and I want to make very sure that you understand where I'm coming from. I believe that the pulpit that I'm standing behind uh, is, is a very place, a very wonderful and very precious place, and a place of reverence. How many understand what I'm saying right now? At the same time, I do believe this, that God has a sense of humor. And I think it's fun to smile every once in a while. I think it's fun to laugh. But I never want to take advantage of that just to try to be funny from the pulpit, if you understand what I'm saying. But I think it's good to laugh. The Bible says a merry heart does good like what? A medicine. And we need to understand that. And so we're going to laugh together. We're going to cry together perhaps this week. And one of the reasons for that is not just on the subject of prayer, but I'm here to talk to you about stress. My background is in mathematics. I taught high school and junior high for over eight years, actually, before I went into full-time ministry. And uh, as a result of being in ministry and as a result of being a researcher, and I'm researching America for a lot of different things, and what I'm finding is a tremendous amount of people, Christians I'm talking about now in America, are suffering from stress, anxiety. And uh, as we look at it today, as I'm looking at it as a researcher, we're looking into the clinical aspects of it, the medical aspects of it, but mostly the spiritual aspects of it. I believe this, that far too many of us in this room are st uh, struggling from stress and anxiety. Or let me put it this way. Oftentimes it's, uh, it's literally fear manifest in worry or anxiety or depression or discouragement. How many understand what I just said? Uh, far too much of it. And our statistics right now, in terms of looking at thousands of people across America, is that between 50 and 70% of people sitting in church this morning across America are suffering from, know, or understand what a panic attack is. That's the result of what is taking place in America. You say, Ray, why is that the way it is? I think there's numbers of reasons, and I'm going to try to help you to understand some of them. But I do know this and believe this. I believe the scriptures, and I know that most of you, I hope all of you in this room do believe the scriptures. And I believe the scriptures teach us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
I do not believe necessarily that it's your disobedience that is causing the stress in your life. I believe oftentimes it's just a matter of a lack of knowledge. The scripture says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. I have to admit this, if I can just kind of be casually honest with you this morning, I'm going to be try, trying to be a little bit transparent this week, and I hope that doesn't bother anybody. I'm really not going to preach a sermon even this morning. I just want to encourage you that God's got much better things for us as Christians than many of us have a tendency to believe. I hope you believe that. There's some good things on the horizon, even in terms of a very difficult world in which we, we live. But God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of, a, again, a sound mind. And I'm going to emphasize some scriptures again and again and again. As a teacher, you're going to find me doing that because I really wanted to lock in. But God wants us free from these things. Say, so, Ray, why do these things exist the way they do? Well, Pastor and I were discussing some of this before the service this morning. Some of it has to do with the fact that we're getting closer to the end of our, this age. I believe we're very close to the coming of Jesus. I'm not a date setter, so I have no idea when he's going to come. I'm not even going to try to project that. But I think that if we look at the world in which we live, realistically, that the prophecies of Daniel are coming to pass, which Daniel forecast that in the last days knowledge would do what? It would increase. We're at an exponential curve mathematically today in terms of knowledge that defies human imagination. Just some of the things that are coming out today, we wouldn't have even dreamed of 10 years ago. And of course, if you go back 100 years, and it would be fun to do that. In fact, I, I really wish there was an opportunity sometimes to go back in history just a little ways. I'd like to go back 100 years. Just 100 years. Well, let's put it at about 106 years, say, to, the, to about 1902. In fact, after the service this morning, it would be fun to get on a 747 time machine and go back about a little over 100 years. How many would go with me if that were possible? You, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to go back and tell people in 1902 that it won't be very many years and they'll put 800 people on what's called an airplane, which is a kind of a hollow metal tube, and shoot them through the sky. Uh, I'd like to tell them about computers. I'd like to tell them about cars. There was approximately 8,000 cars in America at that particular point that drove on approximately 144 miles of paved road. And we look at just what's happened in a lifetime, just a little over 100 years. Now, some of you probably remember that. That was a joke. It didn't go over very good probably, but then <laughs> that was somewhat of... But, um, uh, if you get the point of what I'm saying, knowledge has really increased. I believe it's brought a lot of stress. I believe that the day and age in which we live is bringing stress. The point is I don't believe we need to live in stress. And so we're going to talk about two things this week. We're going to talk about prayer. And by the way, folks, prayer is a whole lot more than now I lay me down to rest. Tomorrow I've got another test. <laughs> if I should die before I wake, that's one less test I'll have to take. <laughs> I'll say, no, it's more than that. How many would agree with me this morning that Christians need to pray? How many would agree with this, though? Prayer is not the easiest thing in the world. And that's why I'm here. Because I could make you feel guilty in just a short period of time if you were in that vein of, of life. I don't want to do that. I want to encourage you and inspire you. I want to help you with your prayer life. If you're in a prayer time and you have a wandering mind or if you're, uh, you get weary or any of those kinds and types of things... 
then I think ultimately you need to be encouraged to pray. And folks, prayer really needs to be a whole lot more than just five minutes in length. Jesus said to Peter, what could you not watch with me, what? One hour. And I'm not suggesting that an hour is necessary for all of us in this room, but I do believe that probably a little bit longer than most of us have a tendency to spend in prayer. And of course, there is the attitude sometimes. It's not about quantity, it's about quality. And uh, I want to say, as I travel extensively, don't say that to my wife. It's about quantity. The more time I spend with her, the more I get to know her. How many understand what I just said? It's a matter of, you know, but it's not easy to do. I get in prayer, my mind wanders. Well, it used to, not so much anymore, because I, I, I found some solutions to prayer, and I've been teaching it like Pastor says over 30 years now in America. And I, I just kind of want to bring you up to, up to date with perhaps some helps to encourage and inspire you if you're having trouble in that particular area. And then the second area we're going to talk about, again, is stress, anxiety, and so forth. How many are going to come this afternoon? Well, wait a minute. How many are going to wait to see how well I do this morning before you make up your mind? <laughs> we're going to put a little set of notes in your hands. Uh, we're going to have some fun together. We're going to get real serious together. Uh, we're just going to talk about some very valuable things. The book table, very quickly, as Pastor noted, some of you perhaps will not or do not want to purchase on, on uh, the Sabbath, and we will be happy to help you out in that by uh, doing anything to get the information into your hands. But let me just share with you just briefly about some of the material. Um, the Hidden Price of Greatness, I co-wrote a number of years ago. Uh, it's a book that uh, people like uh, Jack Hayford, I don't know if you know who he is, or Sherwood Elliott Wirt, who founded Decision Magazine for... Uh, Billy Graham or Don Richardson, who wrote Peace Child. Numbers of people have endorsed this particular book. Billy Graham's organization contracted with our publisher for 130,000 copies of this. If you went to a Billy Graham meeting, you'd find it on his book table as well, an abridged edition. The reason I want to mention it to you this morning is here's a book on stress. Here's a book on difficulty. Not so much clinically or from the standpoint of how it works or whatever, but to encourage and inspire people that some of the greatest men and women who have ever served God in the past had a tremendous amount of difficulty, pain, if you will, in their own lives. And what that did to me when I began to research some of the greats and recognize, boy, these are individuals who weren't just perfect in their lives. I mean, they had problems, unbelievable problems sometimes. It gave me a great deal of hope that ultimately God could use me. You'll find other books in, back, in the back as well. One that I wrote called Don't Miss the Point. And it's all about the indwelling Christ. We have a tendency sometimes to think that it's all about me and my ability to perform adequately so that God will be happy with me. How many understand this statement? The harder we try sometimes, the worse we get. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, I'll tell you what. I know that real well in driving a California freeway. If you're going to find a jerk, it's always on a California freeway. And they're always in my lane. And all I'm trying to say right now is life can be frustrating. And I'm not talking about freeways. I'm talking about the freeways of life and how difficult they are to navigate sometimes. And how much we need help. And sometimes we have the tendency to believe in Christianity that God's just waiting to see how well we can do. He's delivered to us. The, the rules, if you will, the commandments in this particular book, and it's up to us to figure out how to be good people. Friend, that's not the truth. The truth is, is that Jesus has come to live within us, Christ in us, that gives us the power ultimately to live a life that we can't live on our own. And then one more thing, very quickly, and my wife will share all of this material with you, other books that I have written in the back, back 
but probably the best book on spiritual warfare I've ever come across in my life is William Grinnell's book called The Christian in Complete Armor. The reason I want to mention this is because there's a lot of warfare going on. I'm not talking necessarily about demons, because I believe spiritual warfare has to do with just the flesh in which we live. I want you to listen to me real carefully. There are two battlefronts that you and I are up against every single day of our lives. One is the enemy of our soul. The other is the flesh in which we live. Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 7 says, The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I always find myself doing. And then what do you come up with? You come up with a tremendous amount of guilt, a tremendous amount of frustration, a tremendous amount of anxiety in our lives because we know what we really need to do, but we're not doing it. There's a solution to that particular battle. And those solutions, I'm going to share some of those with you this week. I want you to listen to me very carefully concerning battle. Something that Alan G. White wrote in her book called Steps to Christ, some many years ago now. She said, The darkness of the evil one encloses those who neglect to pray. The whispered temptations of the enemy entice them to sin. And it is all because they do not make use of the privilege that God has given them in the divine appointment of prayer. Why should the sons and daughters of God be reluctant to prayer? pray when prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse, where are treasured the boundless resources of omnipotence? Without unceasing prayer and diligent watching, we are in danger of growing careless and of deviating from the right path. The adversary, notice the words now, the adversary seeks continuously to obstruct the way to the mercy seat, that we may not by earnest supplication and faith obtain grace and power to resist temptation. That's a pretty powerful thought when you really get it. I don't have time to go back through it again. What I want to do, though, is to enlarge upon that this week, the two battlefronts, and ultimately how to spend time alone with God in prayer. Many different kinds and types of prayer, but I believe perhaps what you and I need more than anything at this particular moment is to learn how to spend that time. I would say that probably most of you in this room already know how to do that. And so I'm here to encourage and inspire you to continue on. Let me give it to you kind of by a little bit of the warfare element. Probably, well, let me just say it this way. I don't ever have, recall having an evil thought till the day I got saved. I see the heads going like that. So I'm sure, how many understand what I'm saying? How many understand just the sheer element of frustration when an evil thought comes your way? And you know what was so funny about it, or not funny but tragic, is that when the thoughts would come, there would be a, a kind of a little thought that go, would go with it that would go something like this. If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't think that way. I was just curious this morning, how many have ever heard that kind of in the back of your mind? And so, folks, I got saved 476 times the first two years of my Christian experience. I got saved every time Pastor Greg really got, you know, powerful behind the pulpit. And I knew I needed to really get... Uh, you tell me, though, when did I first get saved? I got saved the first time. You say, how do you know that? I know that because my heart got changed. And that's the essence of what Christianity is all about. And now I became concerned about my experience. But the guilt, the condemnation, the frustration, the stresses, I never had those. I can't remember a single one of those kinds and types of things before I gave my life to Jesus. And so that's warfare. You say, does it always involve demons? I don't think so at all. What we want to do this morning in the time that's left, 
is to examine some background to not just the subject of prayer, but life in general. So I want to share with you out of Matthew chapter 13 for a period of time. We'll lay some groundwork that ultimately helps us to understand better what prayer is really all about or how to begin a solid prayer life. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. The point, what I want to share with you this morning, is not so much all of the elements of what Jesus is about to teach in the parable of the sower. What I'd like to encourage you with, though, is there's so much here, and it is so rich and so valuable that we really ought to have it all in the back of our minds pretty much on a regular basis. And so my encouragement is that perhaps in the next day or two or the next week is to sit down with Matthew chapter 13 and prayerfully begin to read. Because, again, it's just rich. What I want to share with you, though, is the opening statement that Jesus makes to the disciples when later they ask him, Lord, what is this all about? In verse 10 it says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? It seems pretty obvious from this particular verse of Scripture as well as others that when Jesus taught the disciples, it was rarely in terms of parables. It was a matter of simply that he spoke to them as direct as he could in terms of the understanding that they had at that particular time or moment. Why now do they speak, does he speak to them in parables? A lot of what I want to share with you this week is perhaps a little bit speculative. Not a lot, but some. And so every once in a while I want to say this is my opinion. And that way you'll know to throw it out. Friend, if it's biblical, we can't throw it out. How many understand what I just said? But I have a particular belief personally, and that is that when Jesus spoke on parables, it was simply because so many of the people could not hear what he was saying. That when he went out into the open, he was by the sea. It wasn't with people, ultimately, that were committed or wanted to be committed or were interested in the kingdom or interested in seeking God. But it would be an open-air meeting, basically, where you had people from the occult, you had religious people from a lot of different backgrounds, you had people that were only casually interested, perhaps, in spiritual things, and perhaps even people who had heard about Jesus, and it was a matter, here's a famous guy, let's go all go kind of hear what the guy's got to say. Or sometimes it goes like this, you know, I was invited to church. How many were invited to church and... It was the beginning of your spiritual life. Somebody just, you know, just kind of pulled on your chain a little bit, invited you, where, where are you out there? Who were you invited to church and you got saved? Nobody? How'd you get here? <laughs> Only one. I'd like to encourage the rest of you, invite somebody to the Sabbath. But anyhow, here's what's happening now. They're hearing this in terms of parables, and perhaps because their mind isn't open at that particular moment. But perhaps later, God will be able to speak to them, and that will be open. But here's the point. Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. The scripture says, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. 
This morning, I simply want to leave you with three things that I believe become valuable now for our particular approach to God in the days in which we live. Of course, in every day, but this day especially. Three things come out of verse 19, and here's the first thing. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, I want to emphasize the word kingdom. And the reason I want to do it is because the warfare that we're up against, friend, is not a warfare where God and the enemy of our soul somehow or another are at war with each other. That's not a correct concept. Now, every once in a while, when we're talking about spiritual things, it's a matter of, well, you've got God on one side, you've got the enemy of our soul on the other side. I want to say, that's really not the issue. The issue is kingdom. The issue is those who identify and are a part of God's kingdom and those who are, are not. Now, I know this might shock some of you, but follow me very carefully. And that is that the two kingdoms are basically those who have submitted themselves to God and those who have resisted God. How many understand what I'm saying? I don't want to go any further until I make sure that some of you understand at least. And so the real warfare is about those who have submitted and those who have resisted. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, that there was war in heaven. Well, that's a strange concept. And the Bible, But the Bible does not say the war was between God and anybody. It was a matter of, it was Michael and his angels that were opposed to Lucifer, a reality, and his angels. The Bible says that Michael and his angels prevailed, cast Lucifer and his angels out of heaven. You know, I've got a theological problem right here, if I could just stop for a moment. Why did Michael cast Lucifer and his angels out of heaven to earth? Why not Mars? I would have loved to have had it to a different planet. <laughs> but the reality is that we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. And so as the Bible teaches then, is there's a very powerful war. And here's what it comes down to, again. Those who have submitted, angels, human beings. Those who have resisted, angels, human beings. So that the real warfare is between those who have have resisted. How many discovered this? When you gave your life to the Lord, all of a sudden some of your friends in the world resisted or actually turned their back on you. Did that happen to anybody besides me? All of a sudden, I begin to realize that there's something about people in the world that resist other people, that is Christians, and suddenly you've got kind of this kind of going on. Very indicative of the war that we're talking about. So follow me a little bit further. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom... The word kingdom is mentioned 13 different times alone, or actually 12 times in the Matthew chapter 13. You'll find it an extremely great issue within the word of God, the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven opposed to, the king, or put it this way, the kingdom of light and life as opposed to the kingdom of death and darkness. Two radically different kingdoms. And so that's the way Jesus opens now in terms of what he's trying to explain. And he wants the disciples to understand better what it's really all about. And so the first element is the kingdom. The second thing he says that becomes now important is simply they don't understand it. When I was a young Christian, I didn't want a whole lot of understanding. You say, why not? 
Well, I, I reasoned this way. Erroneously, I reasoned this way. The less I knew, the less God would hold me accountable for. <laughs> so just be dumb. But how many right now would say, Ray, I would really like to go back 10 years and kind of do all that time over again? Or I'd like to go back, or I wish I had the knowledge that I have now 20 years ago. Does anybody identify with that? Would you have made better decisions that would cause your life to be better today? And the answer for most of us is absolutely. I wish I had better understanding. That's one of the reasons why the Bible says that we're to seek the kingdom. So that we have the ability in understanding spiritual dynamics as well as natural dynamics, we have the ability to negotiate life better. My problem is always that I have a tendency, if I'm not careful, to make bad decisions. What I don't like is to make a decision in which ultimately I didn't have enough understanding in order to make it correctly. And that's why there's some times that I really don't want to do life over again sometimes when you begin to realize it's a pretty stressful thing. But I wish sometimes I had the information that I have right now because I would have done better, I am sure. And so right now, it's a matter of I want as much information as I can possibly get in order to do better in the days ahead. And I hope that makes sense to you. And so I want as much of this book as I can possibly get. It's one of those things where, I tell you, I can become voracious at times just gobbling this thing up. But let me also give you, Pastor, is it all right if I walk down there? There's no problem with that? Can I come down, all the way down there? Because I'm tempted this week to preach from the back to the front. Because I noticed that, that people actually sat in the back before they sat in the front. That's supposed to be funny again. But it's, it's, I'm not doing real well, but I'll try harder. Am I doing okay? Do you? I have no idea what I was saying. Doesn't make any difference because I know I'm, what I'm about to say. So, Gobbling up the book. I'll, I really want you to hear this, folks. When I started into this book, and I suppose you too, I didn't get anything out of it. It was just a massive element of confusion. And you've probably heard people say, well... I mean, people that are not dedicated to the Lord. Well, I, I've read the Bible, and I want to say, <laughs> so what? You know, read it again and again and again. And one of the things I so much like about this book is it's a living book, if I can put it that way. I, I wrote a book, and I have to be very careful as I speak sometimes to make sure that you understand that I work hard not to be arrogant or not to express myself in a way that comes across that way. But I wrote a book called In Memory of Joseph Gray Cloud that I've, there's been an awful lot of accolades concerning that book. I've had grown men tell me. They've said, I cried when I read your book. And I'd like people, every, if I had the resources, I'd give one to every single person in this room. And I'd like you to read my book. It's a good book. But after you've read it, you know, don't throw it away. Please don't do that. Maybe a couple years from now, read it again. But after you've read it once or twice, you don't need to read it anymore. Because the basic concepts of it, I think that they're locked into your mind. I'd like to suggest this book, the more times you read it, the better it gets. I'd like to suggest this, that there's something about this book and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon it 
that gives us that life that I was talking about. See if I can prove it to you. How many have read certain portions of this book, maybe again and again and again and again, and then you read it one more time, and you, there's something there that wasn't there all the times you read it before. It wasn't there. And I, I love that. I'm going down. I think it was just the other day in my Bible reading. I'm going, no, this it wasn't here. This was not here before. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit who is very alive today, my friend, to make it real to you and me, the Spirit of Jesus. And that's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's incredible. And, you know, part of what it's meant to do is to encourage your spirit to lift you up. But I have to say it this way. It's hard. The Bible is hard to read. I want to very much emphasize three things this week by encouraging you into these things, not to bring some element of guilt. I have a tendency to believe that Christians have far too much guilt and condemnation just arbitrarily already running rampant in us. Now, if you're doing something stupid, then you've got a right to be guilty. I'm talking about sin right now. And, and it's good if you feel guilty. But some of us carry guilt beyond that, and we wonder, what in the world am I? I'm not doing anything that I know that I should. But we just carry a sense of guilt. Is that making any sense to anybody right now? You can understand that. And, folks, we need to get rid of that because that is not a way to live an abundant life. And it weighs us down to the point where we cannot have or experience the joy that God wants us to enjoy. But I want to emphasize three things and help you with them, if I can, if I can. And that is that we need, desperately need prayer in our lives more than we've got it right now. Amen. Number two, we need the Word more than we've got it right now. Are you with me? And number three, we need fellowship. This morning is not an option. But I, I, I don't come to church, folks, anymore to hear pastor preach, first of all. I don't come because I like the, the music. I come to present myself to the Lord with the rest of God's people. And since I started doing that, I tell you, it makes a difference. But can I say it this way? Without a lot of encouragement, sometimes the word, prayer, fellowship can be extremely difficult. The cares of this life just kind of washes them out. How many say, Ray, I need more of each of these things than I know I do? There's some real guilt there. Let me just kind of put you at ease as we move towards closing this morning. And I want to close real quick because I'm hungry. <laughs> I didn't mean that. But there's a potluck, folks, going on just in a little while. And you need to realize there's a potluck going on. Get a clue. Thou shalt get a clue. I'm trying to be spiritual right now. Okay, back to the serious element. I need prayer. But prayer's not easy. And, you know, there's a lot of people that would say, why pray when God already knows what we need. How many have heard that? Let me answer that right now. Why pray? Because the Bible says to pray. Why pray? Because Jesus prayed when he was here on earth 2,000 years ago. Friend, listen. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. How many understand that? All right. So I, I know that there are a number of reasons. Let me suggest to you that one of the reasons most of us don't pray as much as we ought to pray is a lack of understanding as to what prayer is. If you feel that prayer is mostly asking God for things, you've missed it totally. Prayer is not mostly asking God for things. That's a small, small part of prayer. You say, what's the other part then? That's what you have to come back this afternoon to get.
And so it's not easy. Uh, the, the Bible isn't re- easy. Uh, a, lot, a lot of it for me is because I don't understand. It makes sense. What I'm trying to say a little while ago is the more you read, the more the Holy Spirit helps you to understand. So don't worry about the fact that you don't understand. And, of course, I don't like to read. Say, so why do you write books? I don't know why I write books. It just I don't like to read. Now, the third one, and let me be very careful. I'm not here to hurt anybody's feelings and so forth. But the third one, fellowship is hard, too. Say, Ray, why is fellowship hard? Because some of you people are jerks. That's all there is to it. And every time I say that, God says, yeah, and I know one more. And, of course, I don't believe there's any jerks in life at all. I believe there are people who just need Jesus. I said that for an emphasis, that if you want to get your feelings hurt, come to church. If you want to have problems, sometimes come to church. Now, pastor told me, that's not so much in this church, and I want to say, cool, cool. But how many have had hurt, hurt feelings in church? How many have felt like you've not wanted to go, oh, yeah, there's some hands out there, huh? I, 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 all I want to say is, folks, we don't have an option. And that even when our feelings get hurt and when things go bad, God's going to work something good out of that and make us better and stronger. The more I have to confront myself, my hurt feelings, uh, my feelings of rejection, uh, loneliness, I think, is a horrible element of what some people face. You know, the people sitting in church this morning who are just plain lonely and feel rejected. And I want to say that, my friend, is a major issue in America today. You are not alone. But part of what prayer is all about, part of what the Word is all about, part of what God is trying to do in His people right now is to help us to understand how we move through these emotional difficulties. And so that's going to be a major part of what we do. Hurrying up very quickly now. When anyone hears the word of the, God, or the, word of the kingdom, number one, and does not what? Lord, give us understanding. Help us to understand. And then what's the last one? When they don't understand, then comes who? The evil one. Extremely difficult for me personally to know how sometimes, even though I've written books on it from three major Christian publishers, how to talk about warfare. Because it's so hard for the human mind to comprehend something that we cannot see. And that a lot of times Christians will say stuff like this. And that is simply, there's too much of an emphasis on the enemy. You know what I find? is almost no emphasis among Christians on the enemy. And so I don't want to overemphasize the enemy. In fact, my wife and I so much preach and teach on this subject. But during the course of the day, we don't think about demons. So what do you think about I think about the Lord most of the time as I'm going through the day. But, but here's the point. I want to know his goals, his motives, and his tactics so that when I'm up against something that might be demonic, I know how to handle it. Not an overemphasis. But let me just give you a number of verses of Scripture, and pastors are going to come and dismiss us. But notice what Jesus says in Luke 22, verse 31, to Peter. Let me paraphrase it out of the beast and paraphrase. Is that okay with you? goes something like this. Hey, buddy, listen up. Satan has desired to have you that he may do what? Sift you as wheat. There's casual mentality in the body of Christ that basically says this. And that is, now that I've become a Christian, the enemy can't hurt me. And I want to say you're deceived. It is true, the greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, that we are more than conquerors in Christ. But the Bible also says, and this is kind of an enigma, Put on what? The, for what reason do we put on armor? Like Paul said, that we might fight the good fight of faith. 
And there are people in this room right now. Your armor is not in place. You're a fine person, good person. You know Jesus, and all, but your armor is not in place. And it's one of the reasons why, when the armor is not in place, you're going to find greater degrees of worry, anxiety, depression, discouragement, loneliness, rejection, all of those you become vulnerable to when the armor is not in place. So we want to talk a little bit about that this week as well. And, of course, then the scriptures go on, not just Jesus speaking, but after Peter goes through the sifting process, he says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, Satan goes about as, help me out somebody, as what? A roaring lion doing what? Seeking whom he may devour. And I hear Christians saying this, well, you know, he's, excuse me, he may be a lion, but he doesn't have any teeth. I'll say, follow me around for a while, and I'll tell you, I'll show you Christians that have been chewed up all over the place not serving God today, numbers of things that have happened and taken place because the enemy does have teeth. But again, not an overemphasis of this. We'll make sure that. But the Bible does say this through Paul the Apostle, Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You say, what does that mean? It means your spouse is not your problem. Close maybe, but that's not your problem. Like one man said, my home is my hassle. Now, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, which would be government centers, basically. And, of course, James chapter 4, verse 7. James says, beautiful verse of Scripture. He says, submit yourself to God. Get, get in a relationship with the Lord. That's prayer. And when you're in relationship with the Lord, now you have the ability to do what? Resist who? The devil. Not some figment of human imagination, but a real, real person. Demons are real. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. One more question. Is anybody hungry?